Many years ago, before my tiny human brain began to understand God's massive brain and his plan for my life, I worked in the medical world. I ran, helped run a physical therapy clinic in Texas, and while I was there working in the office, a mother would bring her young son named Timmy to the office with her, and my job while mom was getting treatment was to take care of Timmy. He was a pill, he was about five, and he had the energy of like 50 freight trains. Really energetic kid. And I would entertain him, we would do coloring sheets, we would do all sorts of trivia games, he was hilariously funny. And one day he was attracted to the pictures that we had hanging on the wall, which were prints of people from all over the world. And he was intrigued by them and he said, I think this one's from India and I think this one's from Africa and I think this one's from, and he would guess where these people were from. And I turned to him, he seemed to nail them all. And I turned to him and I said, you, Timmy, you are a smart cookie. And uh, I had erred grievously. His little hands went up across his chest, his eyes narrowed, and his head swiveled towards me. And he said, I am not a cookie. <laughs> Young Timmy was right. He is not, in fact, a cookie. And while idioms may be lost on him, Nuances do not always strike us at our young age, and he's in college now and is horrified when I retell this story. Um, we, we learn a lot about ourselves and the world around us as we're growing, and as Christians, we are constantly growing. And God has given us many incredible gifts, right? Here in Boulder, I've seen a number of them this week. Sunrises, I saw that today. Sunsets. Uh, beaches, which we don't have here, snowflakes on their way, Nutella, God-given gift. Yes? And um, I would just like to say that to the church members who brought me a jar of it last week for my first week here, God bless you. Thank you very much. Of course, the love of family of friends, family and friends, and the rest of fellowship, all God-given gifts. But one of the dynamic parts of life that God has given us is language. I have learned a second language. I speak Italian, and it's quite fabulous and fascinating, except for when you're learning it. Right? Then it's not so fun. It's difficult. I once asked a bartender where you buy orange juice and stuff in Italy uh, for a hand grenade instead of a slushy. It's awkward, right? But God has given us this dynamic part of life, which is language. And I love hearing from our youngest people some of the things that they are learning about life and how they express it in their language. It is a fresh take and genuinely honest that is absolutely mesmerizing and challenging. So I want to share some of the things that I have learned from children. And Tony and I, we troll the same websites. So you're going to see something very familiar coming up here quickly. So some wise thoughts from youngsters on dealing with life. Sometimes you just need to take a nap and get over it. Yes, true.
true story. Uh, there are many times when I'm in traffic and I would like to send someone home to take a nap. Go, go home, you need a nap, right? Or this one, dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much. I'm not sure how we kind of kill people, but this is the so much. If they had their own rooms, it works with my brother. Larry, I shared a room with my sister growing up. I feel you, Larry, I feel you. Or this one, when you are 11, some food, you can hear, you can hear the valley girl, ready, hold on. When you are 11, some foods you like and some are just no. Claire, age 11. This one is perhaps my favorite wisdom from a child. If the shoe fits, buy it in every color. Yes. Yes, she knows, she knows the truth. And then Tony, genius because cake. Yes, when at first you don't succeed, just sit down and eat cake. And then they have drawn the cake. Then try again. Yes, wisdom, there's smartness there. And finally, on perhaps what is more an introspective note, as you get older, things seem more lame than ever before. Nothing will change but you, I promise. From a sixth grader written to the little ones. Woody's sayings and pithy insights are wonderful. They concisely share our experiences and hopes and challenge in short, power-packed statements. My mom used to say to me and my siblings while we were growing up, just because there's a mouse in the cookie jar does not make him a cookie. Before you ask, no, we did not have a rodent problem. My mom was trying to teach us a lesson about discernment. Sometimes things are not what they appear to be, nor are, what, nor are they what they should be. The warning applied to kids at school, to folks in the neighborhood and to the saints who occupied the pew next to us every week. Mom wasn't trying to make us suspicious of everyone. No, indeed. But she was trying to make us aware that we need to interact or react in new and different ways depending on the situation, which would require different skills and different awareness. Just as kids are brilliant with their insights about naps and cakes and shoes, moms have brilliant insights about mice and cookies and people. And we need deep skills to navigate the world we inhabit. King Solomon, in his book Proverbs, left us many intriguing passages witty proverbs that were sometimes salty, sometimes stinging. And they're a collection of ideas that seem like a mishmashed assortment of wacky situations, and they are wrapped in God language. Solomon seems to run hither and yon in his thoughts, everything from quarrelsome spouses to enemies to wine to food to education. So why the book of Proverbs? Why would a king, once known as the wisest man to ever live, leave us with what seems to be 
an almost random quote book of thoughts. It's like reading his diary. I saw this today, and a quarrelsome wife, woo, it is like a leaky faucet, right? Why would he not write clearly rather than in riddles? Why would he not just give us 10 things to do if he wanted abundant and contented life? What on earth are we to learn from this eccentric and eclectic book? This week, Mary Martha Corinne Morrison Claiborne Roberts passed away. Some of you know her as Cokie Roberts of NPR fame. She was an amazing journalist. She was a powerfully eloquent speaker and known as the mother of NPR or National Public Radio. Her interviews and insights drew many of us into the political realm in ways we never thought we would be engaged and challenged really long-held perceptions about women in broadcasting and in news. One of Koki's dear friend's husbands is suffering from lymphoma, a cancer of the blood. And she had been asked to speak at a fundraiser to, yes, raise money, it's a fundraiser, but also to raise awareness about research and the disease itself. She spoke eloquently and passionately. She informed and she rallied the folk to give generously to underfunded research programs. She was incandescent. And one week later, Koki died from cancer herself. She had educated and she had encouraged. She had spoken about a deathly illness while facing a variant of that illness herself. And yet, though she is gone, there is a legacy of Koki Roberts that lives on. Doors of opportunity have been thrown open for women in spheres of journalism and newscasting that were not open before her. Politics became a field that was open to both the educated and the illiterate because of her wise insights, her careful analysis. The world has shifted to being a better place because she was here. It is a richer, more welcoming place more able to engage in dialogue and in healthy conversation. She leaves a legacy. And I want to speak for a moment about the difference between an inheritance and a legacy. There is a story in Luke chapter 15 of a young man from a far, far away land who wanted to run away. And he says to his dad, you are better off dead to me. Give me the money I would get when you die and let me go. I want my inheritance. And the shocking part of that story always to me is that the dad gives him the money. He takes the money, heads off, and eventually the money runs out. The son realizes in the end it's not the money that he needed in the first place. Yes, 
Money meant he could live recklessly and wildly for a bit. The money would buy fancy clothes and the pumpkin spice lattes and the new watches and the big houses, but those were not the things that would fill his soul. It wasn't the crazy night out with friends or the amazing concerts or the amazing vacations. Those were fine, but they would not give him something enriching that would last. And the hole inside of the young man could not be filled with stuff. And he realizes it while dining with the pigs. And he realizes that it is home where all who came, the servants and sons alike, were cared for by a father's generosity. The home where forgiveness is real and the welcome table is spread and joy pervades. It is a legacy of love that he really needed. Now, my parents are alive and thriving. Hi, Mom and Dad. Um, and I do not expect a trust fund when they go. I already have a life of travel, a life of culture. I have really weird sayings about mice and cookies. And I have songs about buffalo and a knowledge of what hard work is, and I have a treasure trove of stories. But most importantly, I have two records of a life spent pursuing Jesus Christ. What my parents have already given me is much more stellar than anything they could hand me at their death. It is a life that I will carry on with me. And it is here that we discover some of the facts that enable us to encounter the abundant life that Jesus promises to those who follow him. I have come that they may have life and life more abundant. I can know a lot of things, but if I do not experience them, I have a problem. Knowledge without experience will lead to arrogance. In fact, there is a special name that we have for people who have knowledge without experience, right? We call them know-it-alls. We call them know-it-alls. A young man who has wanted his dad's wealth but had no idea how to manage it, I want this, but I don't have the experience to handle it capably, he's an arrogant know-it-all, right? And if we're honest, we've all been there. We have known the truth, and the truth has set us free, but in our freedom, we have captured others. We have become arrogant. In the amazing and wonderful book, which I advocate you all read, Carol Tarvis and Elliot Aronson, the writers of Mistakes Were Made, but not by me, uh, they talk about self-justification, that I become so sure that I know all the things that I justify my errors 
no matter how wrong they are and no matter how much the truth is pointed out to me. And they say this, most people, when directly confronted by evidence that they are wrong, do not change their point of view or their course of action, but justify it even more tenaciously. Even irrefutable evidence is rarely enough to pierce the mental armor of self-justification. Um, I'm going to point this out. In my tribe, the Adventist tribe, we have a small debate going on over something called ordination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do, do you see that both of them who are convinced that they are right have self-justified and there is no meeting in the middle? There is no commonality now. There is only right and wrong. And if you're not on my side, you're definitely wrong. This is self-justification and it is dangerous because it says that I know more than the world around me. I know more than what may actually be right. And I will become arrogant in that knowledge. There's also the, the counterbalance to this, right? We have knowledge without experience. We can have experience without knowledge. And that will lead us, my friends, to recklessness. Now, I like to go cliff jumping. Uh, in Texas, we have some great lakes where I spent my high school years in Texas. We have some really wonderful lakes that have limestone cliffs. And you can jump off of them into 35, 40 feet of water. And it is fantastic. So you can, you can jump from a really high spot. It hurts, but you can do it, right? So when I moved to uh, California to go to college, there is an amazing bowl near Pacific Union College called the Devil's Punch Bowl. This should have given me a clue that something was different about this body of water, the Devil's Punch Bowl. We get there, there's probably about a 40-foot cliff, and I'm like, I'm going for it. I'm going to run. And my friend grabs my arm and says, no, you're not. And I was like, what are you talking about? He says, if you go in there, the shards of rocks that have collapsed off of the side will kill you. They are two feet below the surface, right? If I had gone reckless, not knowing what was there, I would have died. So we can have experience, but not have the knowledge, and we wind up in a dangerous place again. We must have both, right? Recklessness can be great fun, but it often leads to severe trauma either mental or relational or physical trauma. So if we have both knowledge and experience, we get this beautiful thing called wisdom. Now, it's not just that we have knowledge of facts, although those are very important. It's that we have knowledge of the one who has made us, the one who loves us, the one who saves us. And then we experience those things. If I only have knowledge of God, but I have no experience of God, I become a legalistic Christian. This is the rule, and I will follow it. And you'd better follow it too because I know what's right. 
if I have experience but no knowledge, when anything goes wrong, I'm going to tremble in my boots and my faith is going to quake and my faith is going to shake and it will disappear because I don't have anything to root me and it will be reckless. But when I have both the knowledge of God and the experience of God, I have wisdom. And I can live the life abundant and wonderfully full of grace and joy and peace and wonder that God has planned for me. So when Solomon writes this book, he is saying, I don't want to leave an inheritance. I don't want to leave a pile of money or a bunch of brick buildings or a, a bunch of wives with children. I don't want to just leave that because that will disappear with time. I want to leave the understanding of how to interact in this bold, brave, crazy, amazing world in which people live. And I want other people to be able to learn and grow and wrestle with what I'm writing here so that the condition of their lives will be improved. So that they will have skills. So that they will have courage. So they will persevere. So I want to ask you, Do you want an exhaustible inheritance or an endless legacy? Do we want a sum of money or maybe strength or fame that we will spend or strength that will fail or fame that will vanish? Do we want that? I say sometimes it's pretty tempting. There are a lot of Teslas driving around town. I would not mind one just in case anybody wants to give me one. Um, I'll take the jars of Nutella. That's affordable. <laughs> but we have here in this book a legacy that challenge us, challenges us to dig deeply into Jesus Christ and to navigate this life with a consistent, clear, and courageous guide. We will move when God says move, and we will stop when God says stop. This book stands as a legacy to a life of faith that speaks to the truth that God is present with us. So I want to ask you, beloved church congregation, it would be nice to have a church standing on this corner in 30 years that at the corner of 4th and Mapleton, there will always be a place where Jesus is preached, Jesus is welcome, and so is everyone else. But I don't want to leave a building here. Can we leave something far more grand than a structure? Can we leave a place where our neighbors say, wait a minute, that church is going? They can't go. Because whenever I walk through that door, I am fed. 
My body receives what it's needing, whether it is physically or spiritually. They can't go. Where will we listen to amazing music? Where will we hear words that give us life? Where will we meet people who will love us no matter what we do? This is not a call to leave an inheritance. This is a call to leave a legacy. And Solomon is asking us, community, congregation, Will we be the ones who are so clearly in pursuit of Jesus that nobody has a choice as they are around us, but that they be swept up in a wave of love and courage and perseverance, and that clearly and courageously we move forward with the kingdom of God hot on our heels, and we storm the very gates of hell and say, we will prevail because we are with Jesus. There is no soul to be left. We will carry them with us because that is a legacy. And when we say to the mountain, move, and it moves, we will know that God is with us. And when we say to the mountain, move, and it does not move, we will still know that God is with us. And we will leave the legacy that we are with God. May the world know this truth.